Kershaw here, back for episode 5 of the Impact Sprint, 14 Stories of Heartbeats and Footprints. In the previous episode, I'd shared my experience of heading out of Kathmandu into the foothills of Nepal in search of the perfect location to host the first Impact Marathon. So much was riding on everything we were doing at this time, and we had a clock that was ticking. We had no reputation to build upon, no revenue to work from, no investment or backers secured, no experience in this part of the world, and in a matter of weeks, we would have to open up the event for registration. There was an immense pressure on this expedition that I was on, and we had to find all the required essentials with which to tell the story, bring people into the mission, and bluntly drive enough registrations and fundraising to make the event both feasible and genuinely impactful. Every night I would sit on Slack, messaging back to everyone back at home who is loosely connected with the project at this stage. The reality is that when you've not yet launched and you don't have cash in the bank, you're pretty much reliant on good people wanting to help. I dreamt that this would not be a permanent solution. I never wanted impact to be something that was reliant on goodwill. As I said at the very start of the series, I wanted impact to be an example of where good business can do amazing things to make the world better. I still believe this is possible. We made it possible. And although the last three years have set us back quite a long way, I will never give up pushing impact to be that example, that authentic example, that we can match the power of business with the best in people to change the world. From those early days in 2015 where we were gaining experience making mistakes freely and testing out this model to me talking to you now sat in 2023 having survived the three toughest years anyone in travel events has known rebuilding those foundations that we laid eight years ago the one thing i have never stopped seeking and finding is amazing team members sure we've definitely made more than a few mistakes in my team selections but we've also had some overwhelmingly great moments and memories and growth driven by amazing, awesome, and truly beautiful people. Yesterday, I shared about when it dawns on me that the chaps I'd headed up to uh, visit that first village with, although super nice, engaging, and great, great fun people, they may also have not been the right people for what we were searching for to build our race series upon. It can often be easy to keep working with well-meaning good people who aren't quite up to the task or just don't quite fit the mould. There's little doubt that when we combine the previous episode and this one today, and that we now have the benefit of viewing these two opposing experiences through the lens of hindsight, we're presented with a clear example of learning through collective adversity. This is not an easy thing to replicate in an interview setting, but fortunately, we have never had to rely on such settings. We can rely on our interviews in the field, and the results are truly illuminating. Four days after my first foray into the foothills of the Himalayas, I was high up on the other side of the valley that runs through the heart of Sindhapaltruk region. I was with a different team now, led by the ever-charismatic and creative Reshambal from Trek Nepal. 
we'd headed up to the village where the driver lived and were exploring around. Resham was coming up with ideas left, right and centre and nothing I asked was too great, nothing was too small, though it was fair to say I was nervous on how we would host so many people in such a tough-to-reach community. Resham's optimism never let up. Even when he said, that's not possible, he usually followed up quite quickly with, so we'll do it like this. As the afternoon drew on, we got to a small section of the village that was filled with a massive pile of bricks. And around six or seven corrugated iron structures around this pile where the community lived. Those bricks in the middle, that was the rubble of their old homes, pushed in to make space for these temporary structures. We sat down on the pile and chatted away. A Chang, which is a local brewed millet beer, was passed around. It's an acquired taste, but one I've grown to love, largely due to moments such as these. There we sat as the sun began to set, listening to stories of that fateful day in April 2015, when the ground rocked beneath the village, and how the community had rallied to survive, fight through, and begin to rebuild. One challenge we face all the time is the sheer volume of insanely powerful stories where we know we can help, and we know we want to help. Certainly, I've fallen prey many times to the desire to help more people than I actually can in a feasible way. If you support too many people, you aren't supporting anybody. However, when you're literally sat drinking beer on the ruins of a man's house as he laughs away, tells stories, shares ideas, shares the reality, wow. Once more, I felt a long way from London town and my old life in that moment. And I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life finding ways to support and empower others. As the sun dropped behind the mountain, and almost instantly, that fateful first drop of rain slapped against my beer-holding hand. You know what happens next. We ran to the car, and although it wasn't a 4x4, we still had a few minutes we could possibly harness to get ourselves back down off the mountain. The driver wasn't there, so we went off to find the driver, and he'd maybe drunk a glass or four more of the Chang than he was supposed to. We were not getting off that mountain tonight. Resham, as ever, was entirely unfazed. We followed the driver down some trails, through some terrace fields, into a clay home with corrugated sheeting above a small terrace. This was his parents' house. They had no room, but they had what looked like a bench outside and a little bit of grey foam matting to put on top of it. And Resham and I could sleep there. The rain was now battering down on the corrugated sheeting, creating a beautiful, sonorous noise that makes you so grateful to have that tiny piece of metal above your head. The water flooded down off the roof to the fields below. This was pretty surreal. Resha and I sat on the bench. I tested out, lying down. There was just about room for both of us. I closed my eyes, listened to the sounds around, gently meditated on where I was. After a heck of a long day, I drifted off. I was awoken a few minutes later by a sudden outburst of panic rustling right below my head, inches from my ear. This wasn't a bench. This was a chicken coop. 
And there's no way the family were going to host some guests and leave them with empty stomachs. So after a hearty dal bat, fresh as you could ever imagine, we lay back on our chicken coop, side by side, new friends, new teammates. A little brotherhood formed and fell asleep. The early morning sun combined with the late evening rains had dispersed the clouds and as I opened my eyes there in front of me, for the first time, I saw the snow peaks of the Himalayas. It was the most awe-inspiring, magical moment in all my years of travel. A moment that I could never have prepared for. That same feeling you have as you watch your wife appear at the end of the aisle in that magical white dress on your wedding day. This was one of those moments I could see nothing else, feel nothing else. I was all in. This is an experience I had to find a way to share, to offer to others, to make sure that we always found a way to blend that impact with running, with the jaw dropping. We had to give life and empower all those involved an impact race. I snapped a few photos before the clouds gathered over those peaks and swept them once more out of sight. And we were on our way. But not for long. The overnight torrents had swept the side of the road away, leaving a four-foot, I'm going to call it a crevasse. We're going to call it a crevasse. For today, people, I'm going to call it, for the sake of the wonderful storytelling, four-foot is a crevasse. <laughs> across the road to create an impossible obstacle. That's the important part here. Not a minute had passed before Resham and I had quite literally rolled up our sleeves and began rebuilding this road, both of us together, digging, finding rocks, digging some more. We built up a rock of walls around the outside of, the, of where the crevasse had formed, and it held together with a stickiness of mud that we had plenty of. This was creating an outer wall to the crevasse, a boundary into which we can now push other mud to create a flattened road. It took about two hours, but we worked away until we felt confident-ish that the road would hold the weight of the car. And although the outside wheel was overhanging the side by about an inch, maybe two, the driver gently eased his way over our handiwork and we jumped back into the car to get off that damn mountain. Although more digging was needed further down the road, we were off within a couple more hours and on the road back to Kathmandu. Sure, we hadn't found the right location, but we had found the right teammate. Belief in the project, no ego too big to stop him getting down and dirty, and a creative, positive energy that although saw the challenges, was ready to rise to them, that pretty much matched my own. As I said at the top of yesterday's episode, there were thousands of possible locations, but I truly believe only one person capable of finding the right one at the right time. His name was Resham, and man did we go through a lot together. With Ergen and Resham now lined up, we had our impact and our logistics. Next up, we just needed to keep seeking out the right project in the right location. The team was slowly forming together. Tomorrow, we're going to deep dive into the world of bureaucracy. I know, I bet you can't wait for that one. But trust me, it's a good one. See you then. <laughs>